If you look at it now and you say at a, almost 58 years old, possibly anywhere between, you know, estimated 56 to 58 to use her as a, um, a subject for this is just pretty irresponsible and cruel. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject, animals. So on our last Animal Tales podcast episode, I interviewed Mark Simmons, who wrote the book Killing Kiko, who was the free willy whale. He died a terrible, sad death. And Mark had been one of the people on the project who would end up resigning when they were trying to free Kiko. So the conversation now is about a whale known as Lolita or Tokite, who is at the Seaquarium in Miami. So this is a hot topic right now because there's a discussion about freeing Toki, as they like to call her, Toki the whale. And she is a 50-some-year-old whale, so we're not talking about a young whale. What's interesting, I did the podcast with Mark, and he mentioned a community called Truth for Toki, Truth number four, T-O-K-I, which is a group of people who've actually worked with Toki and some of the experts and veterinarians, behaviorists, who've actually thankfully come out, came together and said, we're not just going to take this lying down. We have to speak up. This is not in the best, best interest of this killer whale to be returned to the, quote, wild. So on, on that Facebook page, Truth for Toki, and on my Animal Tales, Heidi Harriet's Animal Tales page, it's... It's not surprising, but disappointing how much negative commentary there is. And particularly, okay, if on mine, maybe, although Mark Simmons is an expert and worked with Kiko the whale, yet people are coming on talking about this story of Kiko and saying that it was a success story and all was good and all that type of stuff, when in fact that was not the truth. And I went right to the expert who worked with that whale. Now the same thing, truth for Toki, the commentary, go on their community, check it out on Facebook. It's really disappointing how people, the keyboard warriors or those who philosophically or ideologically believe that killer whales shouldn't be in captivity. And to solve that problem, we're going to turn a, turn a geriatric old killer whale loose in the utopian wild when the experts, the people who've worked with her and know her are, are asking to be listened to. So classic social media and that it's easy to be behind your keyboard or just be very philosophic about these things. And that's what my whole podcast is all about. I want you to hear from the people who actually live, work with and care for these animals and by the way love them and have plenty of emotion around these animals so my guest today is heather keenan and we're going to talk about lolita aka tokite hi heather welcome to the podcast hi how are you i'm great i'd like for you to start out telling people what your role was with uh do you call her Lodita, Toki, Tokite? What? How do you refer to her? We refer to her as Toki. Okay. Um, 
Of course, we always have a lot of nicknames for all your pets or all your animals that you've ever worked with. Um, dolphins I've worked with, the killer whale, you know, so, but on a day-to-day basis, we basically call her Toki. Okay. And what was your role with her? I know you're not with her now, but you were somebody who had a long relationship with her. And um, I preface this uh, in my introduction, talking about the fact that they're looking to move her and then I'd already spoke with Mark Simmons from the Killing Kiko story. Uh, so I wanted, that's what we'll talk about today. So tell us what your role was there with her. Okay. I worked with Toki for 18 of the 21 years that I was at Miami Seaquarium. I feel that we had a very special relationship. Um, when you think of a person, right? And you have a child that you've grown with, you know, since they're 18 years old, that's a very long relationship you've established. And I was able to spend such a huge portion of my career uh, interacting with her. I oversaw her care, but I also oversaw training any new staff members during that time period to also interact with her as well. So I acted as a mentor to other staff, um, a mentor and a friend to Toki as well. And I did that for such a major portion of my career. Uh, I would say, you know, that's how you identify, you know, what the, the biggest mark on your life was and an 18 year relationship with any animal is very significant. So I yeah. felt that that was, you know, huge. Yeah. How do you get into being a, a trainer, a marine mammal trainer and working with killer whales? What's the background on that? Well, that's really funny because back when I came into the field in the um, mid 90s, it wasn't uh, as difficult, I would say, as is today in the sense that you were just applying to work. Uh, I actually applied to work at Miami Seaquarium and I always loved animals my whole life and i was really um, enthusiastic about marine mammals but i didn't think that i could just go get a job and it just happened to fall into my lap very um in a in a very weird way i just graduated from college and i said okay um how do i get into this type of um you know career and i had someone at a place i used to work and she used to be the curator at minus aquarium and she said well they're hiring and i was just doing you know clerical work um at a bakery and so when she walked in and i'd see her every single day and i was like how do i work there how do i work with animals yeah you know that's really been my my goal and i when i attended the university of miami that is you know kind of where i thought i would be going so it fell into my lap. I was able to interview and um, get my first foot into the door in this career at Miami Seaquarium. And like I said, I had a long career there at 21 years. And, um, you know, part way in is when I started interacting in the um, Whale and Dolphin Stadium, interacting with the Pacific White-Sided Dolphins, um, being around Toki and beginning to interact and play with her um, until eventually becoming her one of her primary trainers for were um, probably one of the longest trainers. You know, there's only a couple of us who can say that they have interacted with her and, you know, had that long of a relationship with her. Um, I know everyone's relationship is special with her, but, you know, I feel like after 18 years, I can speak confidently, you know, about her. Right. So the 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 uh, issue at the moment is that they they being the 
at this point, it's the Friends of Lolita, and uh, they put it both ways. It's interesting online. I found it, Friends of Lolita and Friends of Toki for Tokite. And uh, the Dolphin Company, who now owns the Miami Seaquarium, is involved in this as well, which makes it a little unique. Typically, it's it's animal rights groups or so-called animal welfare groups, uh, but they are animal rights groups spearheading these. But at this point, the, the Dolphin Company has agreed to go along with it and also... I believe the Indianapolis Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Ursay is willing to fund this. So we've got this group of people who believe that the best thing we could that could be done for this whale Toki is to set her free or turn her loose or return her to her uh, native grounds. So d- elaborate on that. What is the deal and why? You know, what do they want to do with her? Um, From what we learned in the press conference that was held in Miami, which I attended, um, it's kind of a surprise to hear that an animal who has been under human care for 53 years would now be, I would, in my own words, I would say, use as a... um, some type of symbolic gesture of killer whales to experiment with her life. And um, when you look at animals that are possible candidates for these types of things, you have to be very selective in your choices. And I look at it as you may not agree with the size of her pool, the fact um, that she came into human care in 1970. And I think that if you look at it now and you say at a, almost 58 years old, possibly anywhere between, you know, estimated 56 to 58 to use her as a, um, a subject for this is just pretty irresponsible and cruel. Yeah, it sure seems and like it. And what, what is it exactly? Are they putting her back in the wild? Is it a sea pen? Is it even defined at this point? What, what are we talking about where they want to take her? Um, from what they discussed, which was not fully um, spelled out, <laughs> so when you're at a press conference and you had several people speaking, it ranged from we're going to move her to her native area in Washington State, build her a sea pen, move her um, with her Pacific white-sided dolphins, also who are not from the Pacific Northwest, Uh, in that area and also to possibly if she was healthy enough and everything worked out then we'd love to see her reincorporated with her pod um, is what they said and that her mother is still alive these are all just statements that they made over and over in the press conference so um, I think that a lot of that is not even planned out yet there are no permit supplied for from uh, what we understand by contacting the government agencies and that this is all very much just a very nice gesture PR move. So people think that something um, is going to happen. Well, yeah, interestingly, and I'll, I'll put a link to the press conference and show notes uh, more recently. And I think I saw this on truth for Toki where many of you have come together to, uh, provide the other side of the story, which is exactly what my podcast is all about. And uh, 
the expertise to do that, which I love, right? You, you are the experts. You're the ones who know the whale and have worked with her. But I saw that Jim Ursay made a statement about this will end with her being free and the dolphin company, Eduardo, is it Eduardo Alba? Something like uh, that. Eduardo Albor. Albor came back and said that that's not entirely the plan or she won't be free or something. So apparently the right hand doesn't necessarily know what the left hand is doing here anyhow, right? So, Correct. Yeah. That is when that Twitter um, post by Jim Irsay came out and then his the response, um, you know, in a seems like a decent time frame from Eduardo Elbor is that Jim Irsay, um, he's not an owner of... Um, Toki, you know, he is uh, I, apparently a financial supporter of friends of Lolita or friends of right. Toki, what they're calling themselves. Um, I, I'm not sure, but he can't make statements on behalf of Miami Seaquarium or in, in this case, yeah. the Dolphin Company. Yeah, I understand that the, the Dolphin Company now owns Miami Seaquarium. And is this a more recent purchase? Is this like um, in the last year or so, or what's the scenario? Um, I believe, so I believe it's been in the last two years. It was two okay. years ago that the Dolphin Company purchased Miami Seaquarium. Now, when the Dolphin Company purchased it, I understand, and I'm familiar with USDA and exhibited animals and that type of thing. So the, the United States Department of Agriculture APHIS, Animal Plant Health Inspection Services, administers the Animal Welfare Act. And within that, when we have exhibited animals, we have to apply for a license, an exhibitor mm. license. It's my understanding when they bought the aquarium the, that her pool wasn't big enough, things weren't up to snuff. So the dolphin group agreed to just forego the ex exhibition of that, that stadium and the whale so that they circumvented that process of having to update it or meet the criteria. Is that your understanding as well? So mostly, yes. Um, the pool had been approved by the USDA for 50 years prior to the purchase going through. And so for some reason in this period, now with the transfer of ownerships, they just did it with Palace Entertainment several years prior to that in maybe 2015 uh, or so, and everything was approved to move forward. So then interestingly enough, then when the purchase for the Dolphin Company went through, that was no longer upheld um, for her habitat. Now, nobody agrees that her habitat is ideal, that it is um, um, in the, the the standards by which we would have a killer whale habitat built today you yeah know, and it was built back in the, the late 60s you know she moved there in the early 70s um but it was interesting to to look back and say interesting how it was approved for all of these years and then and in 2015 for the sale of palace entertainment but only to be interestingly not approved now for the dolphin company yeah so then they don't from what I understand, accepted that um, to no longer have her as part of the exhibitor's license so they could move forward with the purchase. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was understanding about it. So a couple of things within that. One is I read that they are still doing mock shows with her, and I can appreciate this because I've grown up with performing and exhibited animals. 
that um, the stress comes when they're not allowed to do that, when they don't have that interaction. And so uh, I read that they are still doing mock shows with her. I know you're not working with her right now. That's not your role. Uh, you're at this aquarium. You're not at this aquarium now. But I, for, I think on Truth for Toki, they talk about that. I don't know if you have any insight into that. Um, well, absolutely. During the all the years that I um, interacted with, there were a few periods where the stadium was closed for various reasons. Uh, could have been a hurricane. One of the hurricanes we were closed for several months. Oh, yeah. Uh, in order to keep her mentally stimulated, uh, physically stimulated, it is a, a routine that everyone has in their life, right? I mean, I get up every day at, I don't know, 4 or 5 a.m. and I go to the gym and I work out and then I come home and I get ready to go to work. And so you have this routine that you participate in your life. So when you take that away from um, an animal like her and we found immediately after only a few weeks that she was not herself sitting there with no type of um, yeah. And I would say the mock shows that we performed were great. We even brought in our sound text to play music and simulated the whole <laughs> show and talked just so she was familiar with her, you know, her day. And, you know, she would health, healthily anticipate, you know, what was going to happen. She yeah. appeared to enjoy, and I would say 100% that she enjoyed uh, those performances. Um, but she knew the difference, right, between a fake show and a real show. Oh, they do. It's funny. Oh, yeah. Like if you think I would guess like if Madonna's doing a stage rehearsal, you know, it's probably a little different than when actually the <laughs> stadium's full of people yeah. like she knows, you yeah. know, and that would be Toki. She would anticipate people coming into the stadium and she'd see them and she'd get very excited and start um, splashing or fastening and know exactly when the music started and it's ready. It's time to, time to get ready to go um, and start the show. So I would hope and that's what was stated by Miami Seaquarium they continue to do that for her because I feel that is very important to her mental health um to be able to continue you know and exercise at the same time you know a show has many components and one of them is you know a you know doing the physical exercise as well as you know the exposure and the you know the routine that she's participated in for you know basically her entire life yeah that's one of the things, uh, certainly, I've been a- around. My experience is more elephants and then hoofstock and uh, do- some dogs as well. But my parents and our family train camels, llamas, zebras, horses, and um, I grew up with elephants. And now to see particularly AZA, the, is it American Zoo and Aquarium Association? Um, Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Association of Zoos. I always say it wrong. Uh, which is the big zoo association. There is another one called the Zoological Association of America. But AZA has become what I would call woke uh, as far as the way they deal with things. And, for example, again, I could speak to elephants. They're doing away with the shows. People don't want to see the shows. It's not proper. And nothing could be further from the truth, as can be attested to by the, the amount of people that go see the sea worlds and the aquariums and even still circuses, the, the, the zoos that still do shows like Zoological Association of America does not have that criteria. So, but it, more importantly, as an animal trainer, and I think, I believe you, you're speaking to this as well. It's a, it's a, it's a routine for the animals, keeps them physically fit, but 
the other part of that is their mental stimulation. And when you see animals, I do another podcast about dogs, dog on good information. We just talked about this. When you see an am, animal content, it's typically a combination of a, a good environment, a solid environment and care, animal husbandry and best practices, and also being mentally and physically stimulated. That's when, you know, they're referred to as happy animals. It's not a term I use, but the word content always comes up amongst animal trainers and owners. And so I would too hope that they're doing that because it's what's in the, again, what is in the best interest of the animal is first and foremost. It is unfortunate. They, I've heard a, a lot of different things about her tank, but at the same time, she's in her 50s. You know, so if you're committed to, to making sure they get the stimulation, look how many people have big hunting breed dogs in their homes now. I mean, they, that's not the, that's not the utopia for those dogs. If you looked at that, you know, just on paper, but if you can give them the right, the right life, then I don't have as big of a problem with it. Um, as far as Toki, what, I've heard that she is a little set in her ways and that kind of thing. She's peculiar about things. What do you see in what you knew about her that would make her not the candidate to, to do this? If in fact there even is one that should be left in human care and then put back out in the wild. What about Toki particularly? Well, I mean, I would, I would say number one, like you, you just said, I mean, indisputably her pool is, um, undersized and is not ideal for her, but she has lived there for 53 years. And I would love her to have, I know us as a group of people and her former caretakers would love for her to have a larger environment. And it was on the docket many times. Um, but at this stage, you know, it would be what could be the least stressful for her, mm -hmm. you know, and I think to think of what is going to really derail her in a situation like this there's it's many fold number one she has not been lifted into stretcher ever since she's been there since 1970 wow. um and so the the just the sheer you know there has to be obviously conditioned for her to go into the stretcher to her to be as stress-free as possible then she has to be conditioned to be lifted up into a stretcher um but she's only had a very short period in her life and i would say um, the past few years, she's been unhealthy from what they have released to the public. And even when she ha was younger, um, it there wasn't a lot of um, dropping a pool on her and putting her in that type of scenario, which does cause a lot of stress. Um, she will show for us um, that she isn't very adaptive to change easily. She's set in her ways, and we always used to joke that we work for her. What would you like? <laughs> <I love it. laughs> you know, not the, the, not vice versa. I can't make a eight thousand pound killer whale do anything that she doesn't want to do. Okay, so right. everything she participated in, um, whether it's husbandry, medical behaviors, um, which she did very well always in if it was participating in a show if it would be training something for her to do like a stretcher she she chooses to participate and we try to motivate her to do that so i i worry that her mental health with this would be very compromised um as she, we have introduced dolphins to her and she has not uh, entered the opposite pool for a week once they were introduced because she's 
very uh, averse to that type of change. Okay. The sound of her environment changed. You know, if there was a difference in maybe a pump, you know, that uh, pump was cavitating, making a noise, you could immediately tell that she was reactive to a sound like that. Um, so and even different people, she can tell each trainer apart 100%. She treats everyone differently. She's Interesting. very judgy. Um, and she chooses who, you know, are her, I would say favorites. And, you know, she, she should be managed in such a way that is looking out for her best interests and what, and I think that's why she has been able to live this long as opposed to other killer whales is that she's had such a small team of trainers working with her and we were 100% looking at every corner of her body every single day to always make sure we were checking for any possible abnormalities if it was physically if it you know if it had anything to do with you know her breathing or um her eating we would notice them um very quickly yep. and i don't see that possibility in a c pen um and i don't see the all of the other possible negatives with transporting an animal that age and that um, immunocompromised across the entire country for an experiment. And the only animal who's going to be paying or the only price to be paid here is with Toki's life. Yeah. Mark um, Simmons, again, was on my prior Animal Tales podcast. So if, if this intrigues you, make sure you've listened to that episode. Mark goes into detail about what's involved and um, in transporting her, we just think about her, the end game, but he mm-hmm. literally walks through the steps and even myself, who's an animal person, I was like, wow, I hadn't really considered that because I'm not, uh, mine is not water or marine mammals. One thing I know too, you just mentioned this, that yes, she did shows, but more importantly, she was a killer whale in human care. The research, the information, the training, even the breeding and perpetuation of endangered species are all aspects that are even more important than the entertainment aspect. And that seems to get lost. They just say, well, she was forced in, you know, the word captivity, which has been totally co-opted, right? Um, She's a captive whale. She's in captivity and she's forced to perform the reality is she provides really, really important life-saving information and serves as an ambassador for her wild cousins or family and species. And that information is important. I'm just putting that out there for the listeners that I'm proud to come from a community where the the performance is almost the uh, it's not the end goal. It's almost just the aspect of we're able to do it because of all the other stuff we do with them. And on the elephant side, it's they've uh, Dr. Dennis Schmidt, who was on my podcast, who's a wonderful man, who's responsible for the greatest success of uh, the perpetuation of the Asian elephant outside of Southeast Asia. That's huge. They're you know red zone endangered species. So I don't want people to forget that. There's great work and great information that comes out of um, having killer whales in human care or any animals, especially when they're endangered. 
And uh, where I want to go with this then is you worked with her. I, I can only imagine your emotion in working with her because I've performed with animals and you know, it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. But I want you to explain <clears throat> emotion is talked about. And you guys just had this on your thread on Truth for Toki. The animal rights groups use emotion. That's how they bring people into this conversation. We try to say we don't want to use emotion because we want people to pay attention to the actual data, the facts, the statistics, our expertise, right? Our best practices, our animal husbandry knowledge. But emotion is a huge part of our world. That's why we do what we do. We certainly aren't retiring rich. So we love animals and we want to be with them. What I want you to do is take us through some of the emotion of what you've seen, how people react to being able to see a killer whale, which by the way is why we care about them, in my opinion, because we've actually gotten to see them. Not all of us are going to go do a uh, whale watching trip out in, you know, out in the Pacific or wherever. So I want to, I want you to take us down some of the emotional road of what you think people have experienced by being able to, um, aside from the fact that there's a whole truth for Toki community. So that alone yeah. tells you about the emotion of how people care for this whale. You know, that's funny you say the last part because um, our group has 35 people in it and we all didn't work together at the same time at Miami's Aquarium with her. And even some people weren't necessarily uh, friends or get along at the moment sure. or different managements came through and changed people. And even if we had any differences with our time period there, nobody lets that get in the way of us coming together for her because that's how much love we have for this animal. And I would say when I hear anyone um, on the other, you know, the opposing view, tell me how much they love her and they've met her once or twice and they've been to the stadium. I can only think I know what true love is with us, with this animal. Right. You don't spend 18 years working with a single animal and not have formed such an amazing bond and built such a, a, a deep emotional connection with that animal. And I can honestly say every time that I would interact with her, I felt it was so special. And I, if I was in a bad mood, I would want to go up and be with her. If yeah. something happened, like this is my healing moment is to just go spend some time with her. Yeah. If it was playing with her or, or doing sessions with her or doing a show with her, whatever it be, everything else could melt away. And, you know, we could make that connection. And that's what I felt when people observed us interacting in a show, they could also see that as well. I have had guests after a show come up and they literally cry and tell me how beautiful that was for them to observe and how truly inspiring it was to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that would get me every single time because, you know, I'm that involved with this animal demonstrating how much connection and love we have and to be able to allow the guests to pick up on that as well and see the connection that is made is what we all work for, right? We want people to connect to those animals. How yeah. better would they connect than seeing that type of relationship? 
um, we want everyone to understand the plight of the southern resident killer whales. And in, in, even when um, before I left, we had incorporated that into our show um, when we had installed these giant zomotrons where we could show a lot of the plight of those animals. But to see children coming up to you after a show and asking you, how do I get to do that? How do I, you know, how do I be like you? You know, that's just heart melting, you know, to know that you're so inspirational and that your relationship is so inspirational. Even, yeah. it was even sad at a moment um, when, you know, when after we stopped going into the water with her during the shows and uh, or we're going to and I had um, a, a, a school child come up to me and just tell me how much she wanted to do what I did. And I was like, oh, the industry's changing so much. You're never going to do it, it like this ever again. Um, and what what an impact that you make on people's lives. And why do like you said, why do we think that they actually care about animals is because they see that. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just you know, a video, it's just, you know, it melts away in your memory, but this is impacting lasting memories that fuel people to make change or fuel people to care about wildlife. And we're losing that. And I, people get very emotional, the friends of Lolita and groups like that. And with the elephants, we see it, those, the whales and elephants, not surprisingly, uh, largest, you know, animals, mammals, but they're actually taking animals out of our lives. They say they care and future generations are going to lose the opportunities. And the average person, the average public does not understand that. One of the reasons also I'm doing the podcast, because if you've had an opportunity to see a whale, touch a marine mammal, ride an elephant, see an elephant, see a big cat, whatever it is, see monkeys at the zoo, you're going to lose those opportunities because we vilify zoos, we vilify performance venues, we vilify criminy, we vilify SeaWorld, who probably takes better, rescues more marine mammals. That's their, what they do. The performance side is the, is the small side of it. People don't understand that. There's such a big picture. So, Do you know what's really hard about that, too, is having a career that people vilify you. Oh, yes. And and I would say this is a very unique moment that our group is standing up for this animal. It surely you know, is. And we just. You've had enough. You, yeah. There, you feel like there's a lot of repercussions, you know, from dis, you know, disclosing where you work or um, st- standing up and fighting against, you know, the animal rights community because everything is really making us look very, um, like we don't care that we're horrible people. I mean, yep. the death, we're getting death threats. Uh, have, we have members of our groups are literally getting death threats right now. I know it. Uh, and you, you keep trudging on and why, and you trudge on and you do this for the animals. You do this, you, you continue even to work at a facility if you don't agree with their management. You know, if we had people that continued to work for the dolphin company, um, it's because they're there for the animals they and that's care. their number one and so sometimes, you know, you can look at it and say, this organization is, you know, bad in this way or that way. But in the end, why do trainers with marine mammals, zoo animals, any type of animals continue to work in these environments? It's because their priority is the well-being of the animals and they try to do everything they can that's at least in their power to do so. 
That's very well said. And I opened this podcast, my first episode, I tell my story and I get emotional because I talk about the fact that my father was a hero. I'm a third generation trainer and he worked with all circuses and we had uh, performing animals at zoos and fairs and that type of thing, exhibited animals. But the animals always came first and my father was revered and his peers. And so I grew up thinking, I, I lived with Dr. Doolittle. And then we hit the 1980s and all of a sudden they're vilified and they're horrible, disgusting people. And I was old enough to, you know, I was a young adult at that point, but it, it did not escape me. And that's why all these years later, I feel the need to tell this story because we're doing that to farmers. We're doing that to the carriage drivers. We're doing that to the people who actually take care of animals, not the goddamn animal rights community who really don't take care of animals with the money they make. They could build her a new pool and it wouldn't make a dent in their budget. So do it, you know, shut up and do it. Right. Well, if, if the concern when the aquarium was purchased right. two years ago was that um, Eduardo Albar looked at that pool with his daughter, like the story he tells in the press conference and said he told her he was going to do something about it. Why doesn't he have a new pool already? Yeah. Right. Have built one already. It should be that you can. There's been there's space on that property in order to do so then now we're at a a stall regardless of this would ever happen you're years away from this happening so if you legitimately had that concern then it already should have been addressed and could have been addressed to this point absolutely and they could have raised the same funds they're trying to raise to you know set her free and talk about too this doesn't just affect her. You you guys use the term lag. So for us lay people, tell us she has pool mates, right? Correct. She does. She does. So she has lived with Pacific white sided dolphins um, for a long time. Her companion killer whale Hugo he died in 1980. So since that time, she has solely lived with dolphins, and um, and perhaps another uh, Rizzo's dolphin as well. And so the, the we, they're called lags. That's short of their scientific name. Okay. And they, she has had these two companions, um, one which is currently backstage uh, and one that is living with her. And they're both, both 40 years old. And she, when people say she's alone, I understand that she does not have another killer whale companion and to socially integrate her into a pod right now would be, possibly very disastrous for her. Yeah. She has not, like I said, seen a killer whale since 1980. Um, this, socially, um, she, like I told you, hid in the other pool when a, a dolphin was introduced. Yeah. So <laughs> imagine um, seeing another killer whale and the they're not, not just going to welcome her with open arms in, um, in a sea pen or wherever, that she would have tremendous difficulty and stress that would occur from that. So one of the things stated in the press conference, which was very strange, was referring to her lags as her pets and that they would go with her. And, um, well, I talk about anthropomorphizing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so these two lags that, um, are at there's technically three there still one um is an offspring of the of the female that's backstage and then um our male lee who lives with her and has lived with her for since 
19, they arrived in, I believe, 1987. So 40 years old is a very long expectancy for Pacific white-sided dolphins. Yeah. They are, to them to be moved basically out of a man-made environment into a sea pen also provides tremendous risk for their lives. Right. Uh, And there is all, all kinds of pollution, you know, things that they could ingest, how do you design a sea pen that accommodates both a killer whale at 8,000 pounds and a dolphin that is at 215 pounds? Yeah. Yeah. That is not realistic. And nor are they from the Pacific Northwest. These, uh, (laughs) these dolphins, they came from off the coast of California. So if we're trying to put animals back to where they belong, they certainly don't belong there. Yeah. Well, that story, yeah, they don't want to tell that story because they're just the sacrificial lambs, if you will. Um, it's all about the whale, the killer whale. We see that with elephants. Yeah. So I'll and go trans- to transient whales who can pass through the same area. They eat dolphins. Exactly right. That that could become a prey situation where they're coming to prey on those that dolphin in her sea pen. And if they mm-hmm. want to get through those, they can. Um, again, Mark really details how how she could become very ill too because it's not clean water, all those types of things. So She's already at this moment, you know, she is not in perfect health. Right. Um, she had a respiratory infection and was on IV antibiotics daily for over a year, then switched to an oral antibiotic that's flown in specifically from Japan to treat her. Um, so she can keep the infection um, under, you know, at a, a low level. And her even her veterinary assessments from the dolphin company state that she's improving and there's some room for optimism, but that's not a glowing uh, yeah. medical report. That's just saying she's not currently dying. Yeah. And so imagine taking somebody who is so immunocompromised and moving her, like you said, that just the stress of the move is going to compromise her on top yeah. of being at the beginning. And at 58, there is continued debate you might see on our Truth for Tokyo about yeah. We say geriatric, and they continue to say she's not geriatric, you know. And uh, they say she only has a few more years to live. All the experts, so that's pretty close to you know what I would call geriatric, right? And if you're saying that oh, killer whales can live to be 80 years old in the wild, 90 years old, 100 years old, that's based on um, pure speculation yeah. that the whales. But then you have humans that live to 110 years old, but that's not the average age of a human. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, they're not all going to hit that mark. Um, yeah, that, I think those are all really important parts. The part about the lags is distressing to me because they do that with elephants. We'll go to hearings and they want to ban elephants from coming to whatever city you live in because it's horrific. Yeah. We have camels and llamas and zebra and whatever. Anybody who's actually a trainer knows about operant conditioning and the, the animals are trained and handled and the husbandry is the same. So it's because elephants are a great fundraiser and killer whales are a great fundraiser. So that's where I call the BS right there. If we let's have a conversation about all of this, fine, right. but that we're not even starting there. And I'd still debate that conversation because I do believe we have to study and understand these animals. And the reason there's an outcry is because they have seen these animals. And so they want to see them. But they don't, you know, do they realize future generations are not going to be able to see these animals because everything's going to the utopian wild. Well, that's that's wow. a, another podcast for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, we should be worried about those animals out there and what we're doing to help them. Absolutely. Because, you know, 
it, and she's also endangered species. So all of this for is harassment for Toki in That's her right. current state, not just um, all of the moving, everything that has to be approved because, you know, she is now listed under the endangered species as an individual, That's which right. was a lawsuit that PETA put through, um, you know, back in 2016. Um, and it was dismissed that she, no, that was a separate that was a separate year that that happened previously, but she was included under the Endangered Species Act. And so she has to meet the same criteria, you know. That's right. Yep. You can't just take them and throw them back in the wild. Grandma was born in Mexico. She lived in the United States for 80 years. And now we want to take her back to Mexico because that's where she's going to thrive. Send her back. Yeah. yeah. Nope. That that's, that's the ridiculous. And you just mentioned like a PETA lawsuit, HSUS, those organizations, Humane Society of the United States. In the lawsuits that they bring forth for this BS, they could have built a new pool Absolutely. easily, probably had money yeah, left I mean, over. That's absolutely. the part that's just so discouraging in that. And God bless people who care about animals. You and I are right there with them. I say this on every podcast. I'm not, I'm not dissing you or saying because you care about the killer whale that we have the answers and you don't. The top tier of these organizations are out for the money and they have a clear agenda to take animals out of our lives. If you've joined the group because you cared about animals, we, we love you for that. But please go check out Truth for Toki. Find out the real information. Listen to the animal experts, not the media experts, not the fundraising experts. And that's where, that's why these conversations are so important. You've done a, a great job of helping, I think, the lay people understand, you know, the listeners who don't, aren't marine mammal trainers, understand a bit of what's going on here. And then if they listen to the last podcast, they'll have more details as well. Um, I mean, everybody has to understand that these, that we're only here, none of us work for Miami Seaquarium currently or for Dolphin Company. Right. And almost like they're two separate entities The Miami Seaquarium of old is gone. And now it's the dolphin company. And we are only concerned about her welfare. We're not concerned about jobs or anything like that. And that's the only reason why we feel it's so important for us to speak out because we have the knowledge on her. We know her best and we only have her best interest in mind. We have no agenda. We don't gain any money from this. We don't gain any, you know, publicity from this. We gain nothing. Actually, we get, we are getting, you know, raked through, raked over the coals for this. Harassed. Yeah. Yep. That was a, a, a great way to sum it up. And I guess I'd just ask you to uh, close it out by saying, why do you think it's important for humans to interact with animals? Why what are we going to lose if we lose this battle with the animal rights community that, fa- frankly, the public does not understand where it's going? What's your thought on about how our interaction with animals and why we need to maintain that? So I think all of the animals that I've interacted with in, within my career, including the 18 years I spent with Toki, have made such an impression in my life that the amount that I care for um, every single being is if it was there, it's amplified a hundredfold. You know, I, I care about the dog on the street. I care about wild, you know, killer whales. I care about animals under human care. Um, I, I raised a squirrel because I was like, I can't leave this squirrel. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm there for everything. And it just, 
each person to have a bond with any animal, whether you're talking, you know, um, domestic or wild animals, you are becoming a more um, aware person, a kind person. And that's what society needs, right? Society doesn't need us to detach from that. Yeah. And then look at from a distance and no longer have that emotional connection. Because if you don't have the emotional connection for something, then the amount you care about something is going to wither away slowly and you're not going to care about it. And so that I think is the the most important thing that I could communicate is you can't take animals away from uh, humans or humans will stop caring about animals. Yeah. Yeah, that, I couldn't agree more. Perfect way to wrap it up. Heather, thank you so much. I know we did this last minute, but I want to get this story right. out there. And I appreciate it. And one thing I would like to, if everybody goes to our website, uh, truthfortoki.com, we also have a link to a petition yes. that we want to make sure that everyone else knows that you know we are standing up for for her and we already have 40,000 signatures, but we want everyone in the community to know um, in Miami and all over the world, we have people from Japan signing and across the, the globe to understand that this is not the right candidate. This is a death sentence for her. Yeah, absolutely. And when they do, if, if, and when there are right candidates for this uh, return to the wild and all that type of stuff, it has to be with expertise, not just an emotional, you know, we're going to uh, Hollywood story. So, and you know, Mark, that's that, you know, that Mark, you know, with his expertise went because he wanted it to be done right. Yes. You know, it's a beluga sanctuary. You have marine mammal trainers from facilities. They're working right now and they're doing it for the same reason we work for the facilities we work in. They're doing it for the animals because they want the, what's best for the animals. That's right. Absolutely. Thank you, Heather. All right. Have a great one. You too. Once again, if you hadn't listened to the prior episode of Animal Tales, check that out. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. An interview with Mark Simmons, who wrote the book Killing Kiko. We talk about Kiko the whale and we start the introduction of this story about Lolita, a.k.a. Tokite, Toki. And so that's a really important aspect to hear more details about the actual move, what it would take to move Toki the whale to back to the Pacific Northwest. At the end of the day, hopefully when you're listening to these podcasts on Animal Tales, what is really important is what is in the best interest of the animals. How are we making sure that the animals are cared for? These experts and folks that I bring you on the podcast are telling the story of how the story maybe you're not hearing about the animals really are cared for it and they're really loved. And there's a mission by people who work with animals to make sure we keep animals in our lives. It is the way we're going to save animals. As always, there is more to this story. So please check out the show notes as well. Also, please subscribe, rate and review the podcast, and please share it. It's really important for me to tell these stories, and I hope that you see the benefit and will share these and subscribe so you don't miss any. Please join me next time for more Animal Tales. <laughs>